And Father, that is our prayer, that we would be your people. You are our Lord, our shepherd. You have given your life for us. We lay before you, Lord, and confess to you anything that we have done against your law and sinned against you. And we hold to the hope that we were just singing in the forgiveness in Jesus Christ found at the cross. Jesus, we thank you that you would give your life for us, that you would lay down your life to save us from death, from our sins, and give us eternal life. And so our hope is in you. Our trust is in you. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would help us this morning to understand the word of the Lord and apply it in our lives. May you be glorified in the reading and the preaching of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The children are dismissed for Children's Church. I hope that you have a Bible with you this morning. Open that up. Turn on to the book of Ruth. It's in the Old Testament. We will spend this month in uh, the book of Ruth, a, a short book in the Old Testament, four chapters right after the book of Judges. And as you're finding Ruth chapter 1, some questions that I would ask you is this, are you enjoying pleasant and peaceful days of life, or are you in the midst of unpleasant, bitter, long days? I don't think that anyone ever chooses to search out the bitter days, to get a disease like cancer, or to go uh, choose to get a failing grade in a class to decide I'm going to go have an accident today or choose that uh, someone in your family would die or you would lose everything. I don't think that anyone seeks out those. But it is true that there are pleasant days of life and there are also very bitter ones as we live in this world that has fallen. And I would argue that most find it very easy to bless the Lord God in the midst of our pleasant, joyful days. But when you're in the midst of the bitter, long, tiresome days, many times we find it easy to curse God and to blame Him. And so do you trust God only in the pleasant days of life? Um, Or do you also trust Him in the bitter days of life? This morning as we look at Ruth chapter 1, The scriptural truth we see from this is the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer to our doubts and our lack of trust in God. Would you look with me now as we read from Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 22. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilon. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilon died. 
so that the woman was left with her, without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return to the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I, too, I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, No more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. The Word of God. We give thanks that the Lord has given us His Word, that His Word is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and that the men that He gave His Word to wrote it down so that we could, too, read and have understanding. And so, again, we ask the Holy Spirit would open our eyes, that we would understand the truth of God's Word. As you look at this account in the book of Ruth, it follows the book of Judges. This is the time it tells us in verse 1 that the life of Ruth and Naomi and Elimelech and their sons are living. And if you have not read the book of Judges, it would be beneficial for you to read that and see the nation of Israel during that time. They had no king, and during this time of life for the nation of Israel, there was a repeated cycle of life of worshiping God for a period of time, rebelling against the Lord God Almighty, turning to idols and worshiping idols of wood and stone, and God would bring trouble upon them. He would bring a judge. There would be a time of peace, and they would repeat the cycle year after year or time period after time period. And this is the time that Ruth is living in. This is the time of the book of Ruth. 
If you look at the last verse of the book of Judges, in the previous page, um, it says in verse 25, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And as I read that this week, I would say that describes our world today. If you look at verse 1, it says, In those days when the judge, judges ruled, there was famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. This man named Elimelech, his name actually means, My God is King. He is from Bethlehem, and the name of Bethlehem means house of bread. It's the place where King David was born. It was the place where Jesus Christ was born and placed in the manger. And this is the place where Elimelech and his family are from. And even though it is called the house of bread, the nation of Israel finds themselves in a time of famine, and it's a result of Israel's unfaithfulness. It would also benefit you to read Deuteronomy chapter 28 this week. Read Deuteronomy chapter 28 and you will see a few verses in regards to the beginning of how God will bless His people when they are obedient to His laws. But then there's a number of verses that say that He will curse His people if they depart from His word. This is repeated throughout the law given to God's people that if you turn to the right or turn to the left, if you depart from my laws, then I will not bless you. I will curse you. And therefore, we see a famine that is upon the land, a time of cursing, just as God told the nation of Israel would happen if you depart from worshiping me and obeying my laws. So Elimelech did what was right in his own eyes. And I wonder how many of us do the same when we make choices in life. Almost 20 years ago, I can remember there was a huge storm, a lot of rain in Southern California, and that was something that didn't happen much. And I needed to get to work that morning, and I decided, I'd made a decision, uh, am I go- which route when, am I going to take? Am I going to take the longer route? Is it going to take me a lot more time, or do I take this short route that I really didn't like? I decided I needed to take the short route because of all the rain that was coming around. And I did what I thought was right in my own eyes, but I came around the corner into what I thought was a few inches of water, which turned out to be a few feet of water, killing the engine in my truck, and my feet got wet that morning. How many of you have made decisions and choices in your life in which you, like Elimelech, thought, I'm making a right choice, and yet you found out it was the complete opposite of what God would have you choose to do? And therefore, Elimelech decides he will leave Bethlehem, even though his name, my God, is king. Uh, He makes a choice and leaves as if that is not the true um, state of his relationship with the Lord God Almighty. He says, I'm going to move my family to Moab because there is not a famine there. And so he's moving for literally greener pastures. But there's a problem with this choice. God has made it clear that Elimelech is wrong and he should and would know these things from the Word of God. Two reasons why his choice to go to Moab is completely wrong. Number one, God had brought the nation of Israel out of slavery to Egypt, when you read the book of Exodus, and he brought them into the promised land, and he says, this is the land I've provided for you. I will provide for all your needs while you live there, and again, do not depart from 
my word. And Elimelech should have remained in the midst of the famine, in the midst of the trouble, instead of taking matters into his own hand. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus addresses every one of us when we are faced with a decision of something that we are worried about or have anxiety about, specifically in regards to when we have needs. Now, some could argue that Elimelech, he took his family because he had to protect them, he had to provide for them, and so go to Moab because there's food there. At the same time, fathers in this room, husbands in this room, grandfathers in this room, if you're a follower of Christ, you are charged with spiritually leading your families. Elimelech is charged to lead his family in what is right in the Lord. And therefore, he departed from God's law and he disobeyed and went to Moab. Here's what Jesus says to us who are all worried and anxious about the decisions that we need to make in life. Verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So church, are you worrying? Are you anxious? Are you being patient and seeking the Lord and what decisions you need to make? I wondered this morning as I prayed for the hundreds of people who lost their homes in the Colorado fire this week. What decisions are they facing this morning that decisions and choices are making today based out of their worrying and their anxiety and they're so fearful of what is going to happen instead of trusting the Lord God Almighty who provides for the birds of the air and says, aren't you worth more than that? Isn't it easy, though? Aren't we tempted to turn from the Lord in making our decisions? Isn't it so easy for us to just, I'm going to do this? And we never wait patiently. We never seek the word of God. We don't pray. We don't ask for other brothers and sisters of Christ to pray that God would give us wisdom. We just do because that's the type of world we're raised in. You just see something happen. You respond in Matthew chapter 6, if you also read that chapter this week, you'll see as Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he says, when you pray to your heavenly Father, pray and ask, give us this day our daily bread. If Elimelech would have done that, it would have been much better for his life. And as I thought about the fact that Jesus would tell us to pray, how many times do we go into a grocery store and we pick up a loaf of bread or a package of meat and in the back of our mind we think, well, it was deli delivered here by a truck and a grocery worker put it on the shelf and I'm paying for it because I went to work. When all the time God provided that for you. And therefore, in your worries, in your anxieties, in the troubles, in the bitter days of life, when you're faced with making a decision, don't follow the path of Elimelech and just respond. Seek the Lord God Almighty. Another reason why Elimelech makes a bad choice is God specifically commanded the people, do not be among or intermarry with the Moabites. God specifically had warned them about that. 
Who are the Moabites? The Moabites came out of an incestuous uh, birth, uh, Lot and his oldest daughter, Genesis chapter 19. And so you have the Moabites who were constantly against the Israelites. In Numbers chapter 22, you have the Moabite king Balak. He hired Balaam to go and to curse the nation of Israel, and God would not allow him to do that. In Numbers chapter 25, it tells us that the Moabite women allured the men of Israel to worship gods of stone and of wood, and they turned against the Lord God Almighty. And when you read the book of Judges, you'll see that the Moabites were constantly oppressing the nation of Israel. And so Elimelech, why would you take your family to a place that oppresses your own country? Why would you do something that is against the word of God? And again, as Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25 tells us, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. What decisions are you making that seem right to you, but in the end will lead to death because it's something that you've not sought the Lord on and prayed over and asked for an answer and you're too anxious to make a decision now. Elimelech decides to go to Moab. Moab is more comfortable than Bethlehem. Not much food here in Bethlehem. Moab will be easier. As Ruth tells her daughters, stay here. You'll have peace here. This is what many in our world, and especially in our country, seek to be comfortable. Are you comfortable here in this world? Are you comfortable in your daily life? Are you comfortable because you live here in the United States of America? You live here in Montana? You live here in this area? Or do you just seek to be comfortable with things and then hope to die and be with the Lord? Those are some tough questions, aren't they? Because I believe in our heart of hearts, there is the temptation to seek out things that are easier in life, to, to go through the trials, and to trust God in the moments when we doubt. If you look back at the text here in verse 3, it says, But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. The father is gone, the two sons and Naomi are left, and now they are faced with the choice. Go back, right? It's time to leave and go back to our home and to be obedient to the Lord. But what do they do? They stay. They live for at least another 10 years in Moab. In verse 4, these took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years years. Do we go back home? No, there's a famine there. Everything's good here. Well, let's marry wives. Is that wrong? Yes. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 3. The Lord God says, You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and would destroy you quickly. 
They continue to live in comfort in Moab, taking upon wives for 10 years, and they think that God is providing, or they think they're at peace, but yet, even during that 10-year period of being married, you see no children that are being born, no children to carry on the name and their, of, their, of, their, of their people and their family. And it says, after these 10 years, in verse 5, both Malon and Kilian died. Elimelech and his sons are dead. Naomi is all alone. She's at the bottom of the barrel. She's lost everything. No husband or sons to provide for her. No grandsons to carry on the name. There's no one there that provides for her other than herself. No joy from getting to have grandchildren. Nothing. She's at the bottom of the barrel. She's at the most bitter points, the most unpleasant days of her life, and she's experiencing the judgment of God just as he warned if his people disobeyed. And her response is to be bitter, and angry and accuse God of things that are not right with his character. So what do you do? What do you do when you get to that lowest point of your life and you're bitter and you're upset and you're going, God, why? Why did you do this to me? Well, the right thing would be is to swallow our pride, to admit that we are being prideful and sinful before the Lord, to admit that we've made wrong choices, to ask the Lord to forgive us, to admit, Lord, I did not seek your will. And in the midst of that rebellion, in that bitter time, in that tiredness, to go home, to turn around and go back home. Well, even though she was bitter, this is what she does. Look with me at verses 6 through 17. In this statement, where you go, I will go. In verse 6, it says that Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. The Lord is now blessing the land, just as he had said. Maybe the people had turned back to God, and he brought a judge, but he brings upon the land food again. Verse 8, but Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, go and return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Verse 9, the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. She says, may the Lord's kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness be upon you and give you another husband. And when I read this, I think of the book of Jonah because Jonah had no concern for the Ninevites. And she has no concern for her daughter-in-laws. She does not care for them. Even though she may say she loves them, by what she's telling them to do, she's just like Jonah. And she's treating them just like the Ninevites. Jonah wanted the Ninevites wiped out. Here she says, go and find a husband. And they said to her, no, we're going we're to go with you. We're going to go to your people. And in verses 11 and 12, she goes into all these reasons why you shouldn't go with me. There's no way I can provide a husband for you. Even if you did and you had to wait, would you wait? No, there's no, go back. And she says in verse 13 that she blames God for all, all of this. 
No, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Have you ever felt like that before? Have you ever thought, God just did this to me? God is doing this to me now. He's brought this upon me. But the attitude of your heart is bitterness towards him, whether he is allowing something, whether he is judging you, whether he is doing something, whether he's disciplining you as a child of God. Is your response one like Naomi of of bitterness and blaming God for all of the trouble in your life? Verse 14, they cry some more. Orpah says goodbye. It says, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people, to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. And this has been always one of the saddest verses to me in the Old Testament. Did you hear what she said? See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Go back to your gods. Go back to your family. Go back to no relationship, rejecting God. Go live your life apart from God and die. It's one of the saddest things I've ever read in the Old Testament. Your sister went back, you go with her. And again, how many of us are just like that? Towards people that we think will never change. Now just go and live your life. And we don't love them because we're not willing to continue to share the gospel with them. We're not willing to continue to pray for them. Just go back to your life. How many of us judge people like that and respond just like Naomi did? I pray that we don't. Verse 16, Ruth, and these words are amazing. The loyalty that she shows here to her mother-in-law is astounding. Actually, the name Ruth, it means friendship. She says in verse 16, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord, Jehovah, do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. The loyalty is amazing. When it says she clings to her mother-in-law, it's the same wording used uh, in Genesis when it talks about a woman clinging to her husband. It's this loyalty that she's showing her mother-in-law. She's actually laying down her life to serve her mother-in-law, to go to her death, serving her and caring for her. And Jesus Christ is the one who laid down his life for his people, caring for us, loving us at the cross, and caring for us today and for all eternity. This is amazing. It's astounding, the loyalty that she shows Naomi. And what's amazing also, she says, she's, in a sense, she swears by God. She says, she says uh, may the Lord, Jehovah, as her witness, that she would fulfill what she's saying she would do. And when I've read this, I've wondered, what did she know about the Lord God Almighty? Had Naomi, Elimelech, the brothers, said anything about the Lord God Almighty? Or was her knowledge from the fact that all the nations around feared 
the God of Israel because of what the signs that he had done in Egypt? We're not sure. But she swears by the Lord God, Jehovah. And if we continue and look back in Ruth chapter 1, verses 18 through 22, the third thing we see is bitter and empty people. Verse 18, Ruth, I mean, uh, Naomi just stops talking to her. It's like she doesn't argue with anymore. They just start heading back home. It says that she stopped talking to her. In verse 19, the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem, again, the house of bread. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? Everyone is murmuring. Everyone is distracted. Everyone is stirred up. It's like, is this Naomi? Where's Elimelech? Where's her sons? And by the way, who's this Moabite woman that is with her? And Naomi's response just shows that at this point, she has no remorse before the Lord God Almighty. She blames him and actually says that he's actually wicked. If you see what this is in verse 20, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. She, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? She says, don't call me Naomi. Her name Naomi means pleasant. I'm no longer pleasant. Call me bitter, which is the name Mara or bitterness. Why? She says, because God's been bitter towards me. Four times in this chapter, she says that God has come against her. In verse 13, she said it. In verse 20, she says it. And then verse 22, look at she repeats herself twice. God has done this to me. He has been bitter towards me. And actually, she goes as far in verse 22 there. It says he's brought calamity. Sorry, verse 21. He's brought calamity upon me. Do you know what she just did there? The word calamity means to do evil or to do wicked things towards a person, to actually hurt someone. So she is stating that the Lord God Almighty is evil, he's wicked, and he hurts people. You ever heard that before by people? In this world, many people believe that. They believe that God is evil, he's wicked, and he does mean and hurtful things. Just like all the Greek and Roman gods, when they got angry, they did things to people. And that's what people believe today about the Lord God Almighty, whom we worship and serve. Because they see the trouble in their life. Their hearts are bitter. They don't know the grace of God through Jesus Christ our Lord and what He did at the cross. They only know what they're experiencing in this moment. And so they join in with Naomi and say, he's brought calamity upon me. He's been wicked towards me. He's evil. He's hurt me. And we know from our studies in God's word that God is holy, completely holy. He never sins. He is righteous. He is good. He loves his people. He never does anything that is sinful or wrong, that he is a just and righteous judge who always makes the right decisions, and therefore she is completely wrong in her title of God and what he has done, and we should take note of that because many times in the bitterness of our heart, we strike with words at God. And before any of us are saved, 
we join in with Naomi and we say that God is wicked and that he is our enemy and he is against us. And it's only by the grace of God when we come to faith in Jesus Christ alone that our hearts are changed and that we trust in him as Lord God and we rightly give him the glory that is due his name. I was reading this week also in the book of Job. You know the story of Job? Remember Job? Lost everything he had. His children all died in the same day. A time later, he's struck with sores all over his body. His wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? He's the one who says that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And Job also, in, his, in this account of his life, he does blame God wrongly, which God then reveals later and says, Job, you're wrong. And by the way, your friends are wrong. And God points out who he is. And therefore, the story of Ruth with Naomi's response, and even as we look at Job, it is a great temptation that you would not trust God. It is a great temptation that you, in the bitterness and trouble of life, would curse God and say in your heart and declare things that are not true of God. In verse 22, the chapter ends and says, Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And before we go on with the story, and next week we go into Ruth chapter 2, we stop and we think about what has happened in this first part of the account of the life of Naomi, Elimelech, the sons, and Ruth, and Orpah. And we think about the decisions that we make in life. And we may think, I'm in control. If I make a decision, then I'm in control. Because we want control, right? I don't think any of us like to be in chaos, but we want to have control. And the problem is we're wrong, is that we are not in control, because as we've studied here many times, God's in complete control of all things, and therefore it's hard at times to see how God is in control, especially when trouble befalls us, but He is in control. And if God left you and I to our own wisdom and what we think is right in our own eyes, then all of us would never turn to God. And if you're a follower of Christ and He just left you to your own decisions, you would turn away in an instant. Do you know that God is in complete control in the sense that even in our sinfulness and disobedience, that God uses that to fulfill His plans for His glory? That therefore, even in your sin, this is not saying, therefore, you have the freedom to just go out and sin, but know that God is so great and he's in control that he will use even the sinfulness of mankind to fulfill his plans for his glory. Therefore, you need to trust him. In your doubting, you need to seek him. You need to search out his word and ask the Holy Spirit to give you understanding in the moment of trouble in your life. Because when we see that we are a people who are disobedient to the Lord, we are rebellious, and God being in control and even using our sinfulness in the midst of His plan, that God's grace exceeds all of our sinfulness. 
And God is the one who brings His people back to Him. Some of you know the parable that Jesus talked of about the prodigal son. The son who which took his inheritance that he demanded from his father and went off to another land and wasted every bit of it. And he found himself in the midst of a troubling time desiring to eat the food that he was feeding the pigs with. And there was a point where he came to his senses, Jesus says. He said, I'll return back to my father. And that is a picture of the grace of God upon all who would turn to Christ. Because all of us are born into this world as wicked sinners, as enemies of God, and none of us would turn and come home to the Father apart from His grace, opening our eyes to see His greatness and His love and His glory. How far have you journeyed down the road to greener pastures of Moab? Some of you are at that point where God is calling you to come back, to turn from those greener, comfortable pastures that you would so enjoy to turn back to the obedient, being obedient to Him, to His love, His grace upon your life. The prophet Joel says this in chapter 2. Verse 12. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and He relents over disaster. Who knows whether He will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind Him, a grain offering, a drink offering for the Lord your God. He says, return to me with all your heart. Rend your hearts. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so are we. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. When this was written to the church, to the followers of Christ, they were then able to understand as a person who's saved by the grace of God, you're adopted as a child of God. And sometimes we as God's children need to be reminded, not sometimes, every day, that God loves us so greatly that in our rebellion, in our living in Moab, that God would send His Son to die on the cross to bear your sins. And there at the cross, that He shed His blood so that you could be forgiven, so that you could experience the grace of God, that you could find peace with God. And there Jesus took the wrath of the Father that's meant for you. And He redeemed you. He purchased you, He bought you with His blood, and He made you His own. And Jesus Christ died on that cross. He was buried and placed in a tomb, and then the third day rose from death to life, conquering Satan, conquering sin, and conquering death. Therefore, you, as a follower of Christ, 
an adopted child of God, when you die, you go to be with Christ. When He returns, we see Him in all of His glory and we're with Him forever because He is our inheritance. Therefore, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer for all of our doubts and our lack of trust in God. So before we take some bread and a drink together, think about the people, the characters who are in this account. There's Orpah, who represents the wicked and decided to go back to the comfort of her family, her people, her God of wood and stone, and it's a picture of all who reject Jesus Christ as Lord. And they will die in their wickedness and they will go to hell for all eternity. There are those who are righteous like Ruth and they follow Jehovah, the one true God. And Ruth stepped out in faith and followed Naomi back to Bethlehem. She gave her life for her and she trusted in the mercy and grace of God. And she became a great servant. And also we're reminded, because she was a Moabite, that God saves His Gentile people. And lastly, I would say, pay attention to Naomi and stop living in sin like Naomi. Stop believing that God is out to get you. Stop believing that He is doing evil things to you. That it that God's Word in Hebrews tells us that even when God disciplines His people, He does it because He loves you. And He will never do something upon that He's not going to bring you through, that you cannot, by His power, go through and grow from and live in. He does discipline us, but He does it out of love for us. Stop sinning like, like Naomi and being angry with God because something has happened in your life. Because bitterness and anger blinds you to the goodness and blessings of God. Father, I pray that as we reflect on your word and this account of what you've done in the life of Naomi and Ruth, we pray and ask, Father, that you would work upon our hearts now and that you would show us how you've called us to you and like the father who was, saw his prodigal son returning, ran to his son, and that you do that as you call us to you and we return home. Father, we pray that we would be a people who would have a great concern for those like Orpah who are lost and wicked and living apart from you. Would you put upon our hearts a great desire a great love for those, and that we would share the gospel with them. Father, as we take communion together, as we take this bread and the cup together, we ask that in this moment that you would bring about unity in the body of Christ and that you would stir our affections for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.